You are listening to The Power of Peace with Kit Cummings. Kit delivers his thought-provoking perspectives on mental health, addiction, and incarceration, especially as it pertains to the youth, as well as other relevant firebrand issues. He also shares his 12-year journey working within the schools, juvenile courts, juvenile prisons, and with law enforcement. With a wide variety of guests, Kit digs deep into these fascinating topics to share solutions and success stories of how peace paved the way to lasting change for so many who have experienced the Power of Peace Project. He aims to shatter the stigmas surrounding mental illness, addiction, and incarceration, as well as other issues dividing our nation. Hey everybody, Kit Cummings, Power of Peace Podcast, powered by the Power of Peace Productions, which supports the Power Peace Project, which is our 501c3 nonprofit and our work with underserved youth, interrupting and redirecting kids that are on a perilous course and setting them firmly on the pathway to extraordinary dreams. The Power of Peace. Hey everybody, Kit Cummings, Power of Peace podcast. Thanks for stopping by. I'm really, really excited about this episode. I'll be interviewing Pastor Mike Lynch from North Star Church in Kennesaw, Georgia highly sought after national speaker, has a big following on his podcast, uh, spoken for the Falcons and many other things. And he's also my friend and my pastor. So we're gonna dig into some subjects today I think will be very, very interesting. So stay with us. Before we get started, go ahead and hit that subscribe button, like this video, share it, and make sure you comment. We wanna know what you think. Mike's passion is encouraging people and he's got me up. I mean, it's like, I've known a lot of pastors, I've been a pastor. <laughs> You're not the kind of pastor I was. <laughs> um, I, I say this to people, man, and I mean it. And I'm like, you must have been raised right, and you raised your kids right. You did a lot of the things that I didn't do. Mm. And so I, I admire you a lot. Uh, BS degree from Liberty, played baseball, had a cup of coffee with the big leagues, I think, maybe. Frequent speaker. High school events, college events, Georgia Tech, the Falcons, the Atlanta Falcons, done a lot of work with them, and the Baltimore Ravens. Um, the, one of the things I just love about, I've never seen a pastor do, like, do it like this, is in the springtime, you're on that baseball field. That's right. It's like, don't, if you call me, you're going to know where. Yep. Friday night lights, you're on that field, and, yep. and you're devoted to those boys. And one of the things, many things that you taught me was how to be a community mm. pastor because you're brilliant at it. So welcome. Thank you. Um, tell us, I don't know, a little, anything you want to, an introduction about yourself and what led you to, to where you are, a, a national figure now. And But you know, uh, number one, it's an honor to be here. And Kit, Kit you're a friend. And I remember the very first time you and Terry came to North Star, and we met up at California Dreaming, and we began that friendship journey. And just man, that's been that's been a minute now. Yeah, it's been a minute, and you know I think we all end up where we are, sort of not how we intended to get there. Right. And I I thought I'd play baseball forever. College was the end of my journey. I sent a lot of guys on to the pros because I was so bad. Their <laughs> careers got better because of me. But, uh, you know, I, I look back now and I wouldn't change anything, but there's a lot of things when you're living it, you wished you could change. But God has you where he has you for a reason bigger than you. And I think you're a living testimony of that. You take the bads and you take the goods and you morph them together and you're like, all right, that's my purpose. That's why I'm here. And, you know, the Friday night lights and the baseball field, that was my background. And if you're going to change a community, you don't change it with adults, you change it with kids. That's right. 
And so getting involved in the lives of those kids is one of my favorite things to do. Yeah, you're really, really good at it. Yeah, a lot of the connections that I have, I either modeled from you or mm. you introduced me. I mean, you've got, you're a connector. Yeah. And I think it's not just a gift. You're, you, I think you love doing it. I this love doing it. And we have literally lived in this community since 1991. So I've known that I've known people here that were leaders now, but they were kids when I met them. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. yeah. So it's been fun to grow up around here. My yeah. hometown too. So just just real quick, I remember the day we came to church, and we were we were beat up, you know, because my ministry. Now I, I'll never be out of ministry. It's just different types of ministry. But my my working for the church, it didn't end well. Mm-hmm. I went through a real tough time in my life, which I've shared very openly yep. about on here. So we were in that stage. We were beat up, and we needed a place to heal. So we come. We're church shopping. And all of a sudden, North Star, well, let's grab that one. It's next. And so we come in, and I I would always make a line afterwards. I want to meet the pastor. I want to shake his hand. I want to look him in the mm-hmm. eye. And so I did that with you. And um, <laughs> when we get in the car, and Terry says, I don't know where you're going next week, but I'm coming back. <laughs> I mean, you've heard that many times. And so anyway, but as busy as you are, and I know that, I said, would you have lunch with me? That same week, we sat down, and I just spilled guts and mm-hmm. I told you about my journey and uh, you you really have led us through when we were going through times in our marriage that were very very scary mm-hmm. you know it was getting there we sat down on your mm-hmm. couch and you have we cried with you mm-hmm. you know and so I could go on and on <laughs> you know what I'm saying but I appreciate you being thank you, you buddy. Um, so anyway how, at what age did you say I'm, I'm gonna be a pastor this is what I gotta do that's a great question you know I think I always thought about it I grew up in a great church, so I had a great model, Ike. Being a pastor was something everybody was like, dude, that looks fun. He makes it look fun. Yeah. And so I grew up around that, but I thought my career was going to go in sports. I remember a guy saying to me one time, he said, if there's anything else in the world you'd rather do, go do it. But if you keep coming back to ministry, it's probably what you're supposed to do vocationally. And that's where I was. I I knew I could make a career in sports and stay in the coaching world because that was my other love. But yet, I just knew this was what I was, I felt like I was called to do. And like you said, you can be a minister and wear a bazillion different hats. But vocationally, I felt like that's what I was supposed to do. And it was in college. It was probably my sophomore, junior year that I went, all right, that's that's my route. And I'm going to chase that route. Yeah, And obviously, it was a calling. Yeah, and I think, you know, God bless anybody that's serving in the ministry, yep, churches, right. leading churches, because it's a heck of a thing. Yeah. Um, but there are some people that I think were born to do it, were called to do it. In, mm-hmm. in my life, it, I was I was in a very, very bad place in my life at 25 years old. I was burned out at 25, trying mm-hmm. to quit drinking. Mm-hmm. And I fell in love with God. And I just said, well, this is true. I got to do it. I don't do anything a little bit. Yep. And so I found my gift, which was preaching, and I did it for 15 years. And I think that was part of the calling. That's that right. It was leading me to what I get to do now. That's exactly. It was like it was almost like an on-ramp to what you're doing now. It was. And God used that. You know, we use this phrase, and you've heard it a bazillion times. God never wastes our time, and he never wastes our experiences. Wow. And none of it's wasted. Yeah. My years in athletics aren't wasted. That is a huge part of my world now. Your years as a part of your life that you go, man, that wasn't my best season. Yeah. 
you have who you are now because of your worst seasons. So true. God is the master at bringing good out of bad. Yeah, absolutely yep. true. I'm, I mean, that's just true. Now, I remember the weight of it, mm. okay? Because mm. in my case, it was like everywhere you go, yep. people see you. Yep. Some people put us on a pedestal. That's right. They didn't work well for me. <laughs> You're very good at your, your self-deprecating. You make fun of yourself, and it's not a show. It's, it's something that's endearing, right? right. But, um, but anyway, it, it, it was heavy. Because there's expectations when you're in a restaurant, people know you're looking at you. You know, when you're always on display, it feels like, and then you're carrying the weight of a two thousand. I don't know how big is North Star. It's a couple a, thousand. A couple right? thousand. Yeah, I mean, it's a, yep. it's a large weight. What would you say the toughest thing about your calling is? You know, I think the weight of it is definitely a part of it. It's hard for your kids. You know, your kids. I think I handled it better than they did. And I remember we were at a restaurant. They were probably middle school, high school. And somebody came by our table and it was the, uh, here we go again. Somebody come by. I know we don't want to bother you, but I want to say hello. And I remember them leaving the table. And I remember the conversation. I said, you guys know that if you've lived in a community for 20 years and nobody comes by your table, that means nobody's going to your church, which means you ain't eating out. There it is. So there's good with the bad. And they're like, okay, I guess you're right. You know, and it comes like every every job has that. Yeah. So there's the weight of that, but there's a lot of blessings that come with that too. Sure. My kids have been, they've gotten to go to a lot of places they wouldn't have gotten to go to if I didn't know those same people. So it's, it's, it's the good and bad. So I think there's the weight of it. And I think you, if you are a shepherd, you hurt when people hurt. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably part of it. You've watched people hurt. And you're with them on their best days, and you're with them on their worst days. And so it's the balance of learning to find your life in between all those things, right? Because those don't go away. You You don't schedule a funeral in your calendar, and you don't schedule a crisis in your calendar. But when it's your calling, I don't think, I don't think anything about it now. I've done it so long. It's just part of what you do. The key to it is building healthy rhythms to be able to get away, refresh yourself for the next leg of the journey. And I think that is the work, is figuring out what's your rhythm to replenish so you don't give out. So I had a guy on the podcast recently, and he made this statement. It's a great statement. He said, you can have a packed schedule and an unhurried soul. Okay. Come on now. Say that again. (laughs) You can have a packed schedule with an unhurried soul. And he gave the illustration. He said, you know, Mike, in leadership, you know, we always think we we give out. We're just pouring out. And then we come back empty. And he said, what I want is a walk with the Lord where I'm like a, I am like a cup being poured into, but I'm more the saucer where I'm just giving out the overflow and my cup's never empty. And that's the ticket. I've witnessed it because you, you, it's it's not predictable, but it's like okay, he's 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 unplugged again. Yeah, and you've 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 built a wonderful staff. Yeah, wonderful. And so this thing just rocks. A lot of pastors couldn't spend a whole spring on a field. That's right. Or a fall in the yep. evening. I mean, they couldn't because the church would not run. And so I think that's a big deal. Was there ever a time, like you know, part of my journey was I lost my heart. I didn't do what you just said. Mm-hmm. I was rolling and I was traveling and I was leaving my wife behind. I was, it was all about me. And I, I didn't feel like that 
It just was what it was. Sure, and then sure. all of a sudden it was unsustainable and crash and burn. Has there been a time in your, how many years? 20? So I've been at, I've been at Northstar 26 years and full time for 32. Okay. So let's yep. say 32 years. Yep. Where you were like, I don't know if I can do this. Mm-hmm. Where, where, where you, you really kind of was like, huh, I, I might need to. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> totally. I, I wish I could say no, but th- yeah. I mean, the white flag's in the pocket. And I'm ready to one more thing, and that flag's out. Was it a certain season? Oh, yeah. It was a season. It was 2012 to 2014. Our church is going through a very, very difficult season with some stuff that had gone on. And I remember rolling over and looking at my wife one night going, I don't think I can do this. You said it out loud. Oh, well, 100% said it out loud. You can go to my LinkedIn right now and tell the season June of 2012, I have 20 people that gave me a recommendation on LinkedIn because I said, hey, would you update my oh. LinkedIn? Would you, would you, why? Oh, no big deal, man. That's Just say something nice about me, you know? Yeah. And all these guys wrote something. And every LinkedIn recommendation is June 2012 because I was in a, I was in a pit. I remember Kit sitting in a parking lot. I just shared this recently at, a, at an event I was speaking at. I was sitting in a parking lot going to football practice. And Casey had just gone to college. And I was depressed because my son had just left home. Sure. I'm in this crapo season of stuff going on. And I remember sitting in the parking lot and I remember this thought. I don't want to be here. I don't want to go back to the church. I don't really want to go home. I don't know where I want to be. And I remember calling a counselor and I went, I'm in a bad spot, like really bad spot. You're going to call me back in 30 minutes. I'm going to tell you I'm okay. I ain't okay. I'm bad. And of course he calls me back and I'm like, dude, I just hadn't had a Diet Coke, man. I'm better. I'm good. And he's like, I'll see you tomorrow too. And I'm like, no, I'm busy. He's like, no, 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 no. Yeah, you're busy. You're busy with me. And I need, I mean, I was, I hit the wall. And man, I had to get some things in order mentally in that season to survive it, to get out on the other side, because I'm trying to lead a congregation through a very difficult season. And I was owning all of it. I was owning everything. Oh yeah, Yeah. you can't, it wasn't sustainable. Yeah, It wasn't sustainable. And I remember telling Ann, hey, I'm gonna run up and see Casey at Liberty. And she goes, you want to see Casey or are you running? Uh, Well, I was running. Both. I'm oh, gonna yeah. go see Casey and I'm out. Casey just happened to be there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was zick. I was just getting out of town. Yeah. Well I mean in a weird way, I don't think the right word is refreshing, but it's refreshing <laughs> to hear. Mm. You know, that's powerful because you know, you have a reputation and people admire you and rightly so. But all of us right. get to that point, though, especially in this calling. And I don't know that it's going to be the last time. No, it won't be the in, last time. In my ministry, you know, I mean, people know that, you know, I've got my ink and it's all a story, but this is a brand new one. And this is dedicated to the kids I have lost mm. in my program, overdose, murder, you know, mm-hmm. accidental death that, that I felt like, and I know it's not my responsibility that I lost them, but they were on my watch. That's right. You know what I'm That's saying? That's exactly right. And I carry it. And so I've had to learn what you have been doing for a long time. My wife and I have had to figure out how we can really take care of one another. And we have, I mean, yep. it's, it's, that's the biggest miracle of my life besides saving this guy. That's right. Was what God did in my marriage, but it was really that, that cut being full. We set boundaries and it's not like, I'm not going to assume this, but I'm a ma- Yeah, I am. I'm going to assume 
you went through that season and that counselor was there, but that's not the last time you need somebody. You got people in your life. Oh yeah, big you know time. What I'm yeah, and we say this all the time. To be to be who we were created to be, I gotta have somebody in front of me I'm learning from. Somebody on beside me I'm running with, yeah. and somebody behind me that I'm passing on to. So if I don't have one of those three, my life's, because if I'm only passing on, then I've become the expert. Right. right and I ain't the expert. Yeah. But I need somebody to stretch me that's running beside me. Right. I need to race somebody. But I need somebody out in front of me that's been where I'm about to go. And if you can build those three levels, I think you can build a sustainable life. Yeah. Because, but when you get to the point one of those doesn't exist, so I'm being blessed not to give back to the guy coming behind me, that's not fair. Right. So... It's just building that because I'm going to face another, I'm going to face another hill that I'm going to need help up. Yeah. Yeah. I say that all the time is storms come and it's the human experience. It's yep. the world we live in. It's not if, but it's when. And, you know, life storms don't ask permission. They don't make an appointment. You know what I'm saying? They just, they no. come and then we see but the, the quality of our work is there. And we live in the tension of where we want to be, Right. And we just did a series, and, and we said this little line. Some things in life aren't problems to be solved. They're tensions to be managed. Mm. And so you're wanting to build a great ministry. Yes, in, in prisons and working in schools and making a difference in kids' lives. Well, the tension of that is it pulls you away from home. Yeah. Well, if I stay home, then I'm not doing my calling. But if I only do my calling, I'm not home. It's learning to live it. And it's not a problem to be solved. It's a tension to be managed. There it is. And I think in life, that's all of us. I've... I want to reach this entire community. Well, that's a great goal. Probably not feasible with one person, but it's a it's a heart, but it's a tension, right? Yeah, 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 and we yeah. just got to figure out how to manage that tension. Yeah, that, I love how you put that. So we'll shift gears a little bit. I remember the day that I was in your office, sitting on that couch, and I was hurting, mm. and I was crying. The first day we ever met at that at California Dreaming, yep. Shoot, I, I was wide open about my, yep. my struggles with addiction and recovery because I was, you know, in recovery and had yep. been sober for, you know, a minute. And I kind of lost the shame of that, you know, along the way and decided, shoot, I'm just going to be wide open. And anybody, I mean, everybody should be anonymous. I yep. get anonymity, but I felt like God has said, okay, go tell your story. And so that one was not as hard for me. But I had what I called a, a dirty little secret. <laughs> and we're going to talk about that. Yep. But I decided that day. All right, am I going to really let him in? Like, are we going to be like that? Or am I going to have this little thing? And it was my my journey through mental illness, mm -hmm. the mental health. Mm -hmm. And, you know, anybody that's watched, you know, the first couple episodes, uh, 20 years ago, about 20 years, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And, uh, and that was a rock. I mean, in one way, it was like, oh, <laughs> that explains yeah. a lot. But then also it was like a burden. It was like a sentence. Oh, is this going to be like what's like for me? And only my closest, closest family, maybe a couple of friends got to know that. Mm. And then I pulled you into that circle that day. Mm. And, uh, and you've been riding with me on that. Well, you know, here over this last season, I felt like he went, it's time to talk yeah. about that. Yeah. Because we're living in a world where, you know, my last episode, I had my psychiatrist on and yeah. we dug deep and we talked about it because we have a relationship. I mean, 25 years. Wow. Okay. This is a friend. A brother. It's very much like yep. this. I trust yep. him with my life. And so we talked about that. But, you know, there's, he, I said, is, is mental illness 
really rising or is it just the awareness? And now people are talking about it. He said, well, it's both, but it is on the rise. And we talked about why and all that kind of stuff. Well, I know in the church, from my experience, um, there's three little, I call them three little secrets that, that people might be afraid, you know, to talk about. Or when that worst day comes, it's not that people don't love you. They don't know what to say. That's right. That's right. Because when I was out there dying, you know, on my own, I'd left the ministry, man. I was mad at God. I was reckless. You know, it hurt that the phone didn't ring, but no, they didn't know what to say. Mm -hmm. We weren't built for that. It wasn't in our box. And so, you know, I'd like to know your opinion. You're leading a large church. Out of those 2,000 people, okay, we know this. We've got addiction going on that's being untreated. It could be prescription pills. It could be alcohol, drug, whatever it is. We've got mental illness that might be undiagnosed or diagnosed. And that, that that's something that's just not table talk. That if there's not a ministry for you, and you've got to really trust somebody to open yep. your life up. And then incarceration is a real thing. And people that we would never think of is like, you know, <laughs> they'll, they'll finally tell you, yeah, my son's incarcerated, yeah. you know, da, da, da. And you're like, really? And it's yeah. like, man, I didn't know that. Well, yeah, you're not going to bring that up. And, and so this shame, which my opinion is guilt is very effective if it's godly sorrow. It can yeah. lead us to repentance. No doubt about it. Shame, I do not believe, is part of his game. That's correct. It's very destructive. So talk about whatever you'd like about that, about, you know, the, the, the secrets that are there and how do we address that? And then what shame does to us? So I would say whatever the statistic is in the community, that is who sits in the crowd. Now their fate hopefully plays into it, but what they're dealing with is the same. So are people struggling? Oh yeah. I think the word would be through all the things you name, it's just they're overwhelmed. And over being overwhelmed drives us to be lonely, which we seclude ourselves, which you know, we don't do better with what we're going through if I'm by myself. I do worse. Right. And so and the and the product that drove all that is shame. Mm. And I heard I heard Christine Kane, who's a phenomenal speaker, she said this on a podcast I was listening to. She said Man was never built to handle shame. If you trace this all the way back to the book of Genesis, when, when evil entered the world and man fell and man failed, shame entered. Mm. And what did shame cause? Shame caused you to doubt everything you knew to be true. Mm. And it puts us in a corner and it tells us to shut up, be quiet, don't tell a soul, but blame them all because they don't know. Wow. Right? And on a row, on a Sunday morning, there's 20 people down a row. You think you're the only one dealing with something? You just ain't asked. Right. Because if you ask, and to me, the church was built to be the place that it's the safest place right. to go. I have an addiction. I have a son that's incarcerated or a daughter that's incarcerated. We're struggling in our marriage. I'm struggling with pornography, whatever, whatever it is. Right. The reality is you ain't alone. So there's a phrase, and you've heard us use this before. That which is most personal is most universal. Mm. I remember hearing a guy years ago. He, I was in a class he was in. He wrote it on the board. That which is most personal is most universal. He didn't say another word about it. Then everybody started telling their stories. Wow. And you found out, guess what? I'm not alone. That's right. There's somebody out there just like me. Shame says, don't tell anybody. That's 
Shane told Kit, don't tell Mike. Yeah. You tell Mike what you're going through. He ain't ever going to look at you the same. That's right. And what was my response? Well, Kit, okay, I'm sorry. And? Yeah. <laughs> I had a guy tell me the other week, I'm going to tell you something you've never heard before. I went, listen, buddy. <laughs> let me tell you something. I ain't not heard. There, there's nothing you can tell me I ain't heard before. Yeah. That's the world we live in. That's right. Shame says shut up. Shame says get in the corner. And I'm telling you that the other side of shame is a healing grace that we can find when God looks at us and goes, okay, was it anything else? Yeah. I already knew that. Yeah. You got anything else for me? Yeah. So it's shame's real though, man. Yeah, yeah. It's real. Yeah. And I can tell you how bad shame is till I'm feeling it. And then I don't want to tell you what I'm going through because yeah, exactly. of shame. Yeah. And yep. that's what I've been wrestling with for, I, I knew it was not an if, but when. Yeah. And to be quite honest, I and my wife and I agreed on this and I got my closest people, you being yep. one. And I said, you know, I think I'm going to start talking about this, but I, I was always concerned, is my career at a place where it can handle it? Yeah. Because when, you know, labels are a big yep. thing. That's right. right. And so once you, you put that label out there, no, the brain is built to retain those type of things. Mm -hmm. And so you don't have to, nobody's going to necessarily judge me or think nothing. But they'll remember that they'll word. Remember they'll be like, kid, yeah. yeah. And boom, it comes into mind. You know, guilt is feeling bad for what I do. Shame is feeling bad about who I am. Yep, that's right. identity. And so that was, that was important for me. But I have, I've had guys like you in my life mm -hmm. and I've practiced and I did a whole podcast. Well, one of them on this and another one coming up that, those brothers behind the wire in all those prisons I've been in across the country, around the world, they gave me my voice back because I unloaded all my shame on them. I could I could talk to them about anything. Yep. And it was like they helped me to cathartically release a lot of stuff. And I became, it became natural. So when I came back to preaching, which I said, I ain't doing that anymore. Yep. You're like, okay. <laughs> and so, you know what I'm saying? And so when I got there and started preaching, it was... It wasn't something where I used to be like, I need to be open today. Yeah. Probably congregation needs to see my humility or whatever. Yeah. It just it flowed out of me. And now I'm, I'm preaching in you know different churches around the country. And here's what they keep saying. They come to me and say, thank you for being so vulnerable. And I'm like, okay, I mean, aren't other preachers doing that? You know, and they're like, You're, you, you seem so free. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, I'm free. And it used to. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, okay, we know, like you said, that go down a row, you know, in, in addiction and recovery. Oh, yeah. One out of 10 of us have that genetic difference. So we're yep. talking about a church of 2,000 people, 200 of us. 100%. Are, are struggling with that. The mental illness stats are, are a little, you know, because there's such a spectrum. There's such a spectrum. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But there's new ones being added every day, which Dr. Shapiro addressed in the last one. But do you think that it's time for churches to develop ministries for this oh, yeah. so that when the, when the bad day comes, you got a safe place because yes. AA works, you know, for those who work it because it's a safe place and you know what's said in that room stays in that room. That's right. That's sometimes a problem in the church. And I mean, churches that I've been, you know, affiliated with build a, a chemical recovery group, but there's, it's hard because you see that brother on Sunday, you know him on another level, and then all of a sudden you're going to tell him your, your stuff, and, and it's it's scary, and sometimes it backfires. But what, but once people get that's what the church is for, yeah, and it's not a dirty little secret. It's yours, and it's 
felt by many other people. You and I have a mutual friend, Keith and Carrie Carter, mm. that started a small group for parents who were dealing with kids with addictions. Mm. Well, when they started the group, they didn't know anybody else was there until they opened up the doors and there's 20 couples yeah. who were living beside you in the neighborhood. They just don't tell anybody what their kid's going through. Yeah. And when they feel that freedom to know, I can say this and it's safe, to me, that's what the church is for. Jesus said, what did he say? I didn't build a church for the, the hospitals aren't for the well, they're for the sick, right. right? And that's what the church is for. It's for the people who don't have it together. Yeah. Congratulations, you got it all together, man. You're, <laughs> you're one among a few. And I'm one decision away, a one episode away from being in a whole nother place. Yeah. And so I think that is where we have to lean as church leaders of going, I think this next generation, and we're in the process of working through all this, of what is that going to look like? We've always had children's ministry, student ministry, worship, all the, all those things. But is this going to be, right. you know, recovery things? Rick Warren in Saddleback was ahead of his time with Celebrate Recovery. And he started that 20 years ago. Yeah. But he saw it. Yeah, he did. He saw it, and man, that is a big, I was on the phone last Friday with a guy who's, he's struggling with alcohol yeah. way bad. Yeah. And, you know, I put him in touch with a guy who had been there. There it is. I was like, listen, man, I got a guy. I can't tell you, but this guy can tell you. Yes, sir. And that's the key. Yeah. Man, we could talk like, we got to do eight episodes. <laughs> we got a lot to say. <laughs> but I guess heading down the home stretch here. Yeah. Wrap it up. You, you mentioned the youth, okay? That mm -hmm. is that is what I'm called to do. Yep. And God has given me um, a gift, but also a skill set over years and years of doing it to be able to connect with not just people, but kids that are very hard to reach. Gangs, yep. you know, kids that are in trouble, kids that, you know, have some, some challenges. And kids, they're the ones that we're afraid of and mad at, okay? But we're not... It's not just the youth gangs, man. We got to take no. This whole generation is at risk. Yep, and there's right. so many things. What is your biggest um, fear for this generation, and your biggest hope for this young generation? I'm talking about the the 13 to 17. You know, we'll start there. My <laughs> biggest fear for that generation is that they think there's no hope. Mm. That's my biggest fear. Um, that they go, well, I mean, this is just what it is. Yeah. That is my biggest fear. Do I think there's hope? I think there's tremendous hope. Some of the greatest people I know are that age. I mean, they're doing things. I just did a scholarship thing for uh, Cobb County where we live. Dude, they're naming these things these kids are doing. These kids are changing the world. Wow. We still hear about them. Yeah. You know, but they're out. They're world changers. So my fear is they think because when hope is lost, dude, you're, you're done. Yeah. And I want those kids to know there is hope and you are seen. You are seen and you are loved. Yeah. You know, I remember oh, we were interviewing a little girl here recently and she made a statement. Oh, so powerful. She said, every middle schooler looks at you. And here's what they're thinking from a middle schooler to an adult. Do you even like me? Hmm. She goes, and if you can crack that barrier, hmm. you can you can change that kid. Yeah. And that's what's happening with you and your program. You're able to go in and those kids go, I'm seen. He likes me totally and he right. loves me. And if we can do that, we can not only find, help them find that hope, but they can be thing. They, they can be more than we were ever 
dream they can be. I believe it. They've yep. got all the tools. That's They're right. They're self-aware. They care yep. about the issues of the world. They've got so much information, which as a flip side to it, their brains are having a hard time handling it. That's right. And they're they're struggling with the world that we built and gave to them, and now we're mad at them because they ain't doing it right. <laughs> it's like, you know what I'm saying? And then they're going to do it again. <sighs> so, you know, my prayer is that we get very intentional right. and deliberate with We've got to reach them, and they are not going to necessarily be reached the way we were because they don't learn like us, and they're entertained like us, they don't communicate like us. And I'm not talking about their language; I'm talking about the way they communicate. We're, you know, I've been saying this as we close for a long time. Paul said, "I've become all things to all men, so that I might win some." He was a Jew, I became a Jew. To the Greek, I became a Greek. To the Gentile, I became a Gentile. But then he said, "To the weak, I became weak." I mean, to the Democrat, I've become a Democrat to walk with you, feel you, to the Republican, you know, to the Black Lives Matter, to the transgender, to the other, become the other. And I believe that's the answer for, for the kids, but that's the secret to my ministry is I become them. Mm. And the next episode, which I'll kind of tease now, is I met a kid at the, the juvenile prison I served at down on Wednesdays down in eastern Georgia, and he's as hard as they come. And he's, he was a leader in a, an organization that you wouldn't know. You know what I'm saying? They wear red. And 19-year-old, old soul, I needed him as much as he needed me mm. because I needed hope. Sure. I said, I need to see one of these kids that's from the streets, in the gang life, that's hard. And he's either going to die or grow old in prison. I need to see, show me that, that somebody like that can change. And he showed up in my life. And he showed up for me as much or more than, than wow. I did for him. And over the last year, we have come together. I'm 40 years older than him. I'm white. He's black. I grew up middle class. He's in the streets. He, you know, you look at us and say, they have nothing in common. He's more than a little brother to me. And he's, he's a beautiful dude. And he's, he's got integrity and loyalty and respect, all the things that these kids need. And he gives me hope. But the key was, I came, I came down to his level. That's right. And I became him. And then he said to me, I want to be you. Hmm. And now he's out learning how to do it, speaking. Man, Mike, I you love you, man. Love you too, I really fella. do. And this You're is very best. special. Nah, you are. I'm just trying to, trying to follow your lead. But thank you for everything you did for you. me. And thank you for everything you did for them today. So I'm so grateful that you tuned in. I hope this helped you. And uh, follow us, subscribe, share this thing, like it. You know what I'm saying? We're trying to help. People remove the shame and stigma from things that all of us are going through. That's right.